On today's episode of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast, we'll be talking about Super Bowl 55, giving guys a preview of the game on Sunday, talk about NFL honors tomorrow night, um, and just some other sorted NFL things. Uh, Matthew Stafford, Jared Goff will give you guys a breakdown of that trade. Uh, we will also get to Celtics and Bruins. Uh, we will also talk some college basketball, a little baseball free agency, and the NWHL. Let's get after it. Once again, everyone, welcome to the program. It is episode 74 of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at NotBoston. You can also follow us on Facebook, Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. Um, and as of last night, you can now listen to the podcast on Spotify. Uh, we got last week's episode up on there, so I'll give you this week's episode so you can listen onto Spotify in the process of getting on iTunes as well. Uh, so look out for that announcement as well. So uh, as we talked about in the open, Super Bowl 55 is on Sunday, and there are a lot of storylines uh, in this game. I mean, I think that anytime you have a Super Bowl matchup, there are storylines, you know, and there are storylines that involve everyone, you know, whether it's uh, coaches whether, you know, the coaching matchup has had, you know, uh, you know, any, a coach is part of a coaching tree, things like that. You know, um, this year it is Bruce Arians, Andy Reid, Bruce Arians' first trip to the Super Bowl. You know, Andy Reid and the Chiefs in the Super Bowl for the second consecutive year. Uh, Chiefs trying to go back-to-back. Obviously, there's Brady and Mahomes. There is the... Um, obvious conversation of Tampa Bay playing at home uh, and playing a home game. The Super Bowl being a home game for the first time. So, a lot to talk about uh, for this game. So, you know, we previewed a little bit of the game last weekend, you know, after our last show, uh, when we had talked about the AFC and NFC championship games. Um, but I think, you know, the biggest thing, for me, I think early on is who jumps out to the early lead. And we talked about this last week that it will be interesting to see how that happens. Um, as we've seen, the the Chiefs in the last, you know, year plus that, you know, they kind of have a, a penchant for coming back late in games, you know, that they often will, you know, spot teams the early lead and they have to come back. You know, you saw that to the extreme in the divisional round last year against Houston, you know, falling behind 24 to nothing, coming back, you know, smaller deficits against um, 
Tennessee in the AFC Championship last year, and then Buffalo, obviously, uh, two weeks ago. So it's not out of the question, you know, that they are capable of coming back from pretty much any deficit. Um, So the biggest thing, you know, I'm very curious to see who gets out to the early lead. Now, if it's Kansas City that gets out to the early lead, how do they play with the lead? You know, they're pretty good at, you know, playing with the lead, closing out games, um, especially late. You know, I think that they're one of those teams that, you know, when they have the ball running down the clock, they're almost unstoppable. You know, they just have so many different ways that they could beat you um, and even running out the clock. So I think the beginning part of the game will be interesting. You know, what defense really comes out and plays well? Is there a defense that comes out and sets the tone? So I think that, you know, looking at this matchup, we're expecting that both teams are going to score in the 30s. You know, that this is going to be a high-scoring game. But I will say that, you know, if there's a defense that sets a tone right from the beginning, you know, we could have a Giants-Patriots Super Bowl, you know, from 07, you know, the game that the Patriots were expected to beat the Giants, score a lot of points, and, you know, capitalize, and, you know, put the, put the finishing touches on that undefeated season. Um, so I think, you know, is there a defense that's capable of playing the way the Giants did? You know, I don't think so. You know, I think that the way that the Chiefs are are put together on offense, they're so much more dynamic than, you know, that Patriots team in 2007. Now, obviously the game has changed a lot. You know, that game was over 10 years ago. Um, the Chiefs are a lot more than just a dominant passing game. You know, the way that they can beat you is so many different guys. Tyreek Hill deep down the sideline, you know, with his speed. Travis Kelsey in the seam. Um, and guys even like Michael Hardman or um, Demarcus Robinson, not sure whether he's going to be available. Um, but, and even having someone like Clyde edwards Lair, who has had his moments this season, has not been fully healthy the entire season, but when he's gotten a chance to prove himself, I mean, he's looked really good. You know, he had a game early on in the season, maybe it was the first few games of the season, where he rushed for 150 yards, and it's like, this Chiefs offense is the most dynamic offense I think I've ever seen. And it's like one of those things that you could have a good defense and they can be just absolutely shredded. Um, I just don't think that Kansas City really has seen a great defense this season. And that's not to say, oh, you know, they're playing well because of their schedule. But it's like, I honestly do not know if there's a defense in the league that can slow them down. And Tampa Bay, obviously, you know, couldn't slow them down in week 12 when Mahomes threw for 460 yards, Tyreek Hill, you know, 269 receiving yards, um, you know. So the Bucks, you know, I think you can't get much worse than that. That, you know, right? So you think that that defense will have a better day. You know, it is a little interesting earlier in the week. There were a couple guys that were on the injury report. Um, Levante David, you know, Antoine Winfield, who didn't play in the NFC Championship, you know, they're going to need these guys to be healthy. Um, They're going to need every single defensive player that they can get, you know, try to slow down Kansas City. And do I think that they can slow down Kansas City? No. You know, do I think that they can hold them under 30 points? Probably not. But I think that 
when you get into late game situations, that's where having a pass rush with guys like Pierre Paul and Shaq Barrett, who are outstanding against Green Bay, you know, could make a difference late in the game. And I think what I think what's going to make the difference in this game is what defense makes a big play. I know that we all want to sit here and talk about Brady and Mahomes and, you know, whoever gets the ball last is going to win type of game. But it's going to come down to what defense makes a key play. You know, I think that maybe it's not as obvious as a pick six. Maybe it's not as obvious as a forced fumble or something like that. But, you know, if someone makes a big play on a third down or, you know, gets a sack that takes a team out of field goal range, you know, I think that looking for plays like that, especially in the fourth quarter, I think is that's what's going to decide this game. Um, and I just think that I just, it's, it's hard because I think me as a Patriot fan and being someone that, you know, is not a fan of the Chiefs, you know, I'll just admit that, me as a fan at least, I would like to see Tom win the seventh just to, you know, prove to everyone that, yes, you know, he really is, the best to ever play this game. And I think like, to be perfectly honest, it's already been proven whether he wins this game or not. Um, But I just think it would give validation to the idea that Tom can succeed. And then he is an all time great can succeed anywhere. Um, So as much as I want to see that, I just don't see how Tampa Bay is going to be able to slow down Patrick Mahomes, you know, unless they're able to get consistent pressure on him all night long. Um, you know, I think that that's what, that's, what's going to make the difference is if Tampa Bay plays a good defensive game or not, you know, and there's a repeat of week 12. And if that's the case, there's no way Tampa Bay can win that game. Um, I will say from the Tampa Bay offensive point of view, you know, you have a guy like Brady who's been in these situations, you know, he's played in, this is his 10th Super Bowl, So he knows how these games go. Um, and I think that, having someone like that is going to be huge for some of the younger, maybe more inexperienced players on Tampa Bay's roster who this is their first Super Bowl appearance. You know, they've never had to play under this much, this level of scrutiny. Tom's done this before. He's done this nine times before, you know, this is, this is a breeze for him. You know, how can he get that team to feel that same way of like, okay, it's just another game. Let's just go out there and do our job. So, you know, I think that Tampa Bay has had some, you know, issues with mental lapses at points this season, whether it's, you know, offensive penalties, holding and, you know, false starts, if it's drop passes, you know. So I think that Tampa Bay, you know, the inexperience, you know, they're going to have their work cut out for them. You know, and this is a game that I think they cannot afford to get behind early and have to, you know, do everything they can to come back. Sure, the Tom Brady's up to the task, definitely. But, you know, I just think that I wonder about the inexperience in that room and the inexperience not only with the guys on the field, but the coach too, you know. Having a coach like Bill Belichick when Tom Brady was with the Patriots, he's also been in these games before. He knows what it takes to to win these games, you know, what it takes to make big calls in big games. And... You know, Bruce Arians, I think, to this point, has been a really solid fit with Tom Brady. But how does he respond to late-game situations? You know, when 
the game really is in the balance. So I think that will be interesting. I know that maybe there's not as much of a conversation about the home field advantage. I don't really think it is. You know, I think that it's, I don't know, it's it's a Super Bowl. And I know that Tampa Bay is the first team to ever have, you know, quote-unquote home field advantage. But, you know, I don't know if it's really that much of an advantage. I don't know if that really will, you know, make any type of difference. Um, I'm not sure what the weather is going to be like. I think you could probably check on that. But, you know, if this is a rainy game, you know, maybe there's an issue that, you know, this game does not become the shootout that we all expect it to be. You know, I think everyone wants to see this game be 37-31, you know, something like that. Um, Does it have potential to be an overtime game? Yeah, I think so. Um, But I think, you know, again, it just, I think it comes down to Tampa Bay's defense. What, What can they do to slow down Patrick Mahomes? You know, can they get to him? Can they force turnovers? Um, in Kansas City, you know, they're capable of forcing turnovers too. You know, we saw that Tom Brady had a couple of kind of iffy interceptions in that Green Bay game. And I think that the Tampa Bay was, was lucky that the Packers didn't take advantage of those turnovers. You know, a couple of those turnovers were, you know, not bad, but they were just kind of like not, not really Tom Brady mistakes in playoff games, you know, especially that you know, guy in his face, he has to get rid of it, doesn't get it out of bounds, and it's picked. You know, that's one of those plays that you do not expect Tom Brady to make, that, or that, like, you don't expect him to make that type of mistake. Um, you don't expect him to make the type of mistake where he doesn't see Adrian Amos, the safety, you know, looming over a little bit, you know, to make that first interception. The second one, off Mike Evans' hands, you know, there's not really much Tom Brady can do with that. You know, maybe the pass was a little high, but, and I said this last week, you know, Tom Brady cannot throw three interceptions. Tampa Bay cannot win the game if Kansas City wins the turnover battle, if they force Brady to throw a couple picks. They just can't win the game that way. So I think the key is for Tampa Bay, keep the turnovers to a minimum. Try to see if you can force Kansas City into some turnovers. I think that's the area that they could turn the tide of this game. You know, that Kansas City has this unbelievable offense, but can Tampa Bay force them into mistakes? You know, can they force Mahomes into a couple of picks like he did against Miami, you know, towards the end of the regular season? And can they take advantage? You know, I think that's the biggest thing for this game, that um, Tampa Bay really has to hope that the defense can come up with a couple big plays to win this game. You know, I think that it very well could come down to one of those classic, you know, Tom Brady drives. And this game could become a who has the ball last type of game. But I think that either way, you are going to see a classic. You are going to see one of the best Super Bowl games that we've seen in a while. Um, I think that it's going to be something like 31 to 28, you know, 34 to 31. I honestly think it's going to be something like that. Um, but I think that, you know, and, and, and I hate to say this, but I think I have a little more confidence in Kansas City's defense to make a play late in the game than I do in Tampa Bay's defense, you know. And I think that there there should be a lot to be said about Steve Spagnuolo being the defensive coordinator for the Chiefs. 
and him being the defensive coordinator in 2007 for the Giants. You know, I think there's something to be said for that. You know, can he get a good pass rush that is in Tom Brady's face all game? Because if the Chiefs do that, I, I think that they can win the game fairly easily if they're able to get Tom Brady on the ground, if they're able to, you know, rush the quarterback. And so I think Tampa Bay's offensive line needs to play really well for them to win. You know, I really think that it's, you know, not really the sexy matchup that we want to talk about, but it's the battle in the trenches that I think honestly could be the difference in this game. How does Tampa Bay's defensive line do against Kansas City's offensive line? And how does Tampa Bay's offensive line, you know, hold up against probably what's going to, what are going to be a lot of blitzers for Kansas City? And, you know, Tom Brady's seen all the coverages, I'm sure, but I think that there's a possibility that you see someone like a Tyron Matthew, you know, make a couple of big plays in this game um, that turn the tide. I think Kansas City wins. Um, I think it's a close game. And I think that, you know, Mahomes maybe makes one more play than Brady does. Um, but I do honestly think it's going to be the defense that comes up with a big play, whether it's an interception, whether it's a, a forced fumble or something like that. Um, but I do expect Kansas City to win this game. Um, but it's going to be a really fun, exciting game that uh, should have everyone's eyes glued to the TV. Um, so I think a couple more kind of Super Bowl thoughts I wanted to get out there. Um, I think that there's been some, uh, some talk in the media about, you know, Brady versus, versus Belichick that I think that to a point it's gotten out of hand, um, that I think that on, on, on a certain level, I think that it's interesting to have the debate about, you know, who really benefited more from each other you know did Bill Belichick benefit from having Tom Brady as a quarterback and yes of course he did you know and I just think that unfortunately there are some people that are using that as a negative that okay he's not that great of a coach because all he had was Brady you know and I just like I'll be honest with you I don't really have the patience to have a conversation with someone like that because you don't become a really a, a two-time dynasty, you know, become the team that you were for 20 years, winning all these division titles, getting to all these AFC championships. You don't do it with one player. You know, I don't understand where this idea is coming from that, you know, oh, you know, Brady made Belichick. It's like, like you don't, you don't become that much of a successful team over that long of a period, if it's just with one player. Football is a team sport. We all know that. You know, this is not an individual sport like like the NBA, where, yes, you could feasibly be really good with just one or two players. But it's just like, football is a team sport. It changes year to year. You know, Bill Belichick builds really good, successful teams. You know, yes, okay, maybe he's had the crutch of a Brady but that doesn't mean that okay he can't build a roster because if you look back at some of the some of the rosters he's put together you know he's made some big time moves that have helped the team become better and i just i don't understand why this has to be like oh you know Belichick's not that great of a coach oh Tom Brady 
you know, is the Patriot way where it's like, why do we have to discredit someone? You know, I think it's on one hand, it's fine to have a debate, I think, about, you know, who meant more to the Patriots or that sort of thing. You know, I don't really think it's a great debate. Maybe I'm biased, but I think that both of them are all time greats, you know, and that's really what that conversation really should be. And not about that, oh, one is better than the other or, you know, let's discredit the other guy. You know, it's just, it just seems crazy to me that it's so easy for people to just dismiss the 20-year run of the Patriots and just attribute it to one player. It doesn't work like that. Um, You know, you don't become this team that you were for 20 years with one player. You know, it's about the coach. It's about the culture. It's about, you know, what the team and what the organization is about, not just one player. So it just really disappointed me when, you know, you heard Danny Amendola make those comments that the Patriot way is, is, is Tom Brady and not the Patriots. You know, and maybe he didn't say exactly that, but that's kind of what I got from that. Um, and I don't know. I just think that I expected, I expected Danny to not say something like that. And I guess I'm just confused where this is coming from. That, okay, now all of a sudden it's okay to take shots at Bill because the Patriots were 7-9 and nine this season, you know, or whatever it may be. You know, I think Danny has a gripe about how his contract was handled with the Patriots, and he didn't like having to, you know, take less money over the years. Well, no one forced you to do that. So, I don't know. I just think that it's just disappointing to hear someone like that make a comment that he made, especially when, you know, he was a key part of multiple championships here, you know, and it just, I don't know. It just is unfortunate that you have a former player making a comment like that when he knows that's not true. You know, he knows that the Patriot way is not just Tom Brady. It's like, he knows that, you know, I just, I don't know. It's just strange to me why someone like that would come out and say something like that. But, you know, that's just me. Um, before we move on to not Super Bowl stuff, um, I just want to say that um, it truly is amazing that the NFL has been able to get through this season. And I know that there were some bumps and I know that there were a number of games that postponed and kind of skewed the schedule in a way that maybe was a little unfair to a couple teams. Um, but I just think the way that we were able to get this season to this point to get it to the Super Bowl and, you know, the fact that the NFL is going to celebrate the people that have made this season possible. You know, the frontline healthcare workers that have done so much to give us some sense of normalcy. And I know that the normalcy that we knew in 2019, you know, probably won't come back for a decent amount of time, but you have these people in healthcare that have made this possible, have not only made this NFL season possible, but the Super Bowl possible. They have made other sports possible. You know, when you think about the bubble, you think about play going on right now. And I know that it's not perfect, but it's the sacrifices that these people have made to let us be able to enjoy, you know, something that is is somewhat normal. And I just think that when you, you know, sit down with your family, with your friends, and you're, you know, about to chow down and some great food, 
just, you know, stop and think for a second and think about how lucky we are that we were able to sit and watch, you know, a football game, a Super Bowl that, you know, means so much to a lot of people that we were able to do this because of the sacrifices that frontline workers have made to to make this all possible um, and make it possible for us to enjoy sports because, you know, it very well, it very well might not have happened. You know, I think that we kind of, I don't want to say it's a negative way, but I think like we have all taken for granted that, you know, we can have live sports again, that we can watch and enjoy sports and kind of have that release. Um, so I just think, you know, take some time to think about, you know, how lucky we are to be able to, you know, witness this Super Bowl and witness all these sports that have been able to happen because of the sacrifices of the brave men and women who have put their lives on the line, you know, to help so many people. So just want everyone to kind of keep that in mind when they're watching the game um, on Sunday. So some other news in the NFL is pretty big news that came out uh, a day after we recorded, which, you know, of course, of course, that's how it happens. Um, There was rumors that Matthew Stafford would be traded before the Super Bowl. Um, and I think we may have talked about that on the podcast. Well, that is indeed what happened. Uh, Matthew Stafford uh, going to the L.A. Rams for uh, a package that, you know, I thought was pretty, pretty ridiculous for someone like Matthew Stafford. So the Rams getting Matthew Stafford, obviously, and then the Lions in exchange, getting two future first-round picks, I want to say a third-round pick, and Jared Goff. So, obviously, when we were talking about Stafford to the Patriots, you know, and I was talking about, okay, here's what I would reasonably trade, yeah, you know, the the Lions got a lot more than I thought any team was going to get for Matthew Stafford. And I think I said this, that, you know, the Patriots should be in on him, but they should not be willing to kind of go all the way in for him and not trade like everything, you know, and not kind of break the bank that I was thinking, okay, the Patriots maybe could reasonably get Stafford, but I bet that there's another team that comes in with a much better offer than probably what the Patriots were willing to give. And that's exactly what happened. Um, and the, the Rams, you know, making a big-time, you know, gamble, I think. Um, It just is unfortunate that they've chosen to, what seems like, to give up on Jared Goff and bring in a guy like Stafford. And I think that, okay, I think Stafford might be a slightly better player than Jared Goff. I don't think that's the point, though. You know, I just thought that, you know, you have Goff, who obviously is not a perfect guy, you know, is not a perfect player, you know, had has had some consistency issues, you know, was hurt, really was not totally himself in that NFC uh, divisional game against Green Bay. Um, I don't know. I just, I wasn't, I wasn't thinking that LA would make a move like that. Now, I think that if you are Stafford, you know, I think LA is probably one of the best places you could go because it gives you a chance to win now, which You know, I think that that probably is what's most appealing to him, that he wants to go to a team that gives him the best chance to compete and compete for a Super Bowl. And the Rams give him that. 
you know? So, I don't know. I think I just was surprised that the Rams were willing to give up Goff and, you know, all those picks. Detroit, you know, gets a pretty good haul for Matthew Stafford. Um, I didn't, I, I mean, based on that price, the Patriots were no way going to be able to match that. Um, and obviously there was a lot made about Stafford, you know, not wanting to come to the Patriots. And, you know, that probably drew the ire of a lot of people that took that as a sign of disrespect, you know, and I, maybe that's fair, but you also have to consider the position the Patriots are in. You know, right now they have a lot of moving pieces. You know, we really don't know what this team is going to look like next year. Um, you know, they are at the moment probably the third best team in the division. You know, they're not really in a position to contend to the point that the Rams are, you know. If you want to compare the Patriots to the Rams, you know, the Rams are a team that made it to the second round of the playoffs, have a roster that's in position to win now with, you know, one of the most talented rosters in the league. I mean, you have Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey on that defense. Those are two of the best defensive players in the game. You know, you have a really you know, a big kind of star-studded roster. And, you know, if, if you're Matthew Stafford, why wouldn't, why wouldn't you want to go there? Why wouldn't you want to go to a place that gives you the best chance to win? You know, I think L.A. gave him a better chance to win than San Francisco, Carolina, Indianapolis, the Patriots, any of these teams that were looking for quarterbacks. You know, so I just think like, okay, you get mad at Stafford for not coming to the Patriots, but... I mean, can, can you blame them? The Patriots are not exactly in the best situation. I mean, they're kind of in an uncertain situation. Now, you know, if, you, if you're a quarterback like Matthew Stafford, you're 32 years old, you are wanting to leave a place that has never really given you a chance to win in your entire career, you know, and you're looking at the LA Rams who have a talent, who have the talent, or a team that's in position to win now, and you have a team like the Patriots who are kind of in a rebuilding stage. They don't know what else they're going to have, you know, to surround their offense. And I just think Stafford is at a point in his career where he's going to make a decision about what gives him the best chance to win. And I'm sorry, coming to the Patriots does not give him the best chance to win at the moment. You know, and he's not in a position where maybe he's like in the prime of his career or you know, approaching the prime of his career and says, okay, you know, I'll give this team a couple years to get things together. But Stafford's 32. He wants to win now. And I think that I just, I don't understand why people were getting upset at him for, you know, not coming, not wanting to come to the Patriots. You know, if you're a quarterback in that position, I don't think you'd want to come to the Patriots either. You kind of have to let go of your, oh, the Patriots, you know, are this awesome team and... You know, the Patriots aren't the same team anymore. Sooner or later, people have to recognize that um, and recognize that they are not a Super Bowl contender. You know, this is this is different. This is a different situation that any of us have been in, but you got to be realistic about it. So um, just another, you know, note that, you know, I think QB movement could be really interesting this offseason. Obviously, you have the news with Watson. You know, the Texans have officially come out and said that we're not interested we're not interested in trading him. You know, you take that ho- ho- however you want. Um, 
there were some uh, some whispers yesterday that the the Eagles are listening to calls on Carson Wentz. You know, that's very interesting. I feel like I've made my opinion known on Carson Wentz to the Patriots. I think I've made that known a few times. Um, I don't really think he's that good. Um, I don't think that he would be a good fit here. Um, I don't know. That's just me, my opinion. And, you know, the contract that he's on is pretty bad, you know, for what he is, I think, as a quarterback. Um, And then, obviously, you know, there's some stuff about Dak Prescott. You know, I think that that is a very interesting situation that if the Cowboys choose to let him go, you know, could the Patriots be interested? You know, and then that comes in, okay, well, he's probably going to command a lot of money, you know, when you consider the level he was playing at last year and the level that he played at in 2019. So, you know, that that's something to keep your eye on. You know, you've not heard anything about Garoppolo. I would expect the Patriots are going to be interested in trying to bring him back. So there might be some speculation about that maybe in the next few weeks after the Super Bowl. So... That's probably it for for the NFL, but we'll move on to the NHL um, and the Bruins. So the Bruins uh, continuing to find ways to win. So when we last talked uh, last week, the Bruins had uh, come off that 4-1 win against, I think it was Pittsburgh. Might have to check, look at the schedule just to make sure that I have the right game. Um, but the Bruins continue to get you know, get some big wins. Um, You know, the comeback against Washington was just flat out awesome. The Bruins really just imposed their will, you know, after uh, bravely Trent Frederick dropping the clubs with Tom Wilson. uh, I would not recommend that to anyone. Um, Even if you're in the NHL, I would not recommend fighting that dude. But Trent Frederick's like, you know what? Screw it. I might as well try to wake the team up, and he did exactly that. The Bruins uh, tie the game on a Craig Smith goal, and then Brandon Carlo with the Rocket gives the Bruins the lead, and the Bruins win 5-3. And then, obviously, the monster win on Wednesday night against Philadelphia in a game that, you know, the Bruins really look to be in control in the first 10 minutes. You know, get a goal in the first 12 seconds, control play for 10 minutes of the first period, and you go in to the room, and they're up one nothing, and you're like, okay, the way that they played, they probably should have been up three or four to nothing, um, and you know they kind of just went dead for the majority of the rest of the game. Philly takes a three one lead midway through the third, you know, and then the Bruins get a power play goal from Pasternak, uh, make it three two, or get get another goal from Pasternak to make it three two, you know, and then. Philadelphia shoots itself in the foot twice with a really stupid penalty by Kevin Hayes, you know, 180 feet from his own net, you know, holding call in the defensive, in the, in the, yeah, you know, yeah, 180 feet from his own net, um, taking that penalty. Bruins then, you know, have a devil of a time trying to get the puck in the offensive zone, finally get it in there. David Pasternak bats in the winning goal. And you're like, oh my God, here we go again. Bruins to overtime after, you know, being down two goals. You know, and then the Flyers, you know, in typical Flyers fashion, uh, take another stupid penalty 
as, you know, Scott Lawton interferes with Corrali when he could have easily just skated with him, you know, chooses to finish his check when Corrali doesn't have the puck. So there you go. Another penalty. Bruins win the game in overtime on a Pergeron goal. And yeah, so I think, you know, there, there, there's a way that you can look at this game that, you know, okay, you did not play your best. I think the defense for the first time kind of showed you that they made some mistakes, uh, especially on that second goal. Zaboral kind of gets beat twice, you know, loses the puck, loses his net, loses his positioning, and then Voracek scores. Um, and so I think, like, you're going to see uh, you're going to see some of that sometimes, but I think it was awesome to see the Bruins could, you know, just say, okay, you know, 3-1 lead, no big deal. We came back from 3 nothing. Uh, on Monday. So, you know, obviously at five on five, the Bruins did not have the best game. You know, I thought that they really controlled the play for the most of the first period, five on five, but then that was it. You know, they really didn't control much of the play, but you know what? That's why your power plays there. And, you know, the Bruins power play picked them up, got a couple goals and it was awesome. You know, I think that when you're not playing great at five on five, that's what the power play is there for, to bail you out. And the Bruins went to the well, you know, but went to the well because the Flyers kept taking penalties. You know, there's nothing you can do if a team is taking penalties. You just, you know, get the opportunities and try to score. The Bruins did that. So, you know, really big effort from the Bruins. Um, obviously, falling behind by multiple goals uh, really should not be the strategy, but you know, it is what it's going to be, and I think you're picking up points in games that you probably shouldn't be picking up points, but, you know, I think in a season like this, it's important to pack as many points as you possibly can, you know, into games, because you never know when something could come up, you know, in terms of the virus and COVID. You know, we've already seen a uh, half dozen teams that have had to pause play, you know, at various points of the season. Um, you know, you got news that Colorado had to uh, postponed games for a week last night. So, you know, I think that, you know, we'll get, we'll get to the COVID issues um, in, in a moment. But, you know, as I was saying to someone, you know, the defense for the Bruins has been really solid, you know, minus for the couple of mistakes that they had um, on Wednesday night. You know, it's really something that surprised me. You know, I thought that, okay, you lose Char, you lose Krug, you're probably going to have a lot of mistakes early on. But, you know, as much as a lot of us were kind of annoyed that Kevin Miller got re-signed, I honestly think that he's had a lot to do with why, you know, Zaboral has had has been really successful, that he's it's given him some stability, you know, to be with someone in the defensive zone that is a pretty solid defensive player. And, you know, I think that Kevin Miller surprised me. He's stayed healthy. You know, he's been really solid. He's not been perfect. You know, that's that, that's for sure. But just giving someone like Zabor or uh, Zaboral, yeah, um, some stability, I think, has been huge. You know, Lausanne has stepped up and made plays when necessary. You know, Clifton has gone in there and played a decent amount with Grizzlick out. Um, you know, I think the thing with Clifton is he always plays with that aggressiveness. That can be a good thing and a bad thing. You know, I think he's prone to making a lot of mistakes with the puck, especially in the defensive zone. But he's aggressive, you know, jumps up into the play. And the Bruins were, I mean, pinching in left and right in that first period on Wednesday. So that was really good to see. And I think that when the Bruins activate their D like that, 
you know, they are so hard to beat, especially with a team like Philadelphia that kept turning the puck over, you know, constantly. And they really did it all night. Um, so just a great comeback, another great comeback for the Bruins. And, you know, David Pasternak has uh, picked up right where he left off. He does not need really any games. He's scored uh, five goals in three games, which is just preposterous. So, you know, look for that to continue tonight. Bruins and Flyers at 7 o'clock games on Nesson. Um, in Philadelphia, Bruins do not play until uh, next Wednesday because uh, Buffalo has had some COVID issues, so they had to postpone both games this weekend on Saturday and on Monday. So uh, Bruins will be off till Wednesday, which will be huge for someone like Grizzlick. You know, maybe he'll get back into the lineup next Wednesday when they play the Rangers. So he'll get some time off, you know, probably get some continued practice time. You know, you'll probably see the same out of Jake DeBrusque, you know, it's a little concerning that the Bruins have not heard much about Andre Kasha. You know, had the concussion in Game 2, and we've not really heard from him. So um, I hope everything's okay with him. You know, I know that it's well-documented, the issues that he had with concussions when he was in Anaheim. So um, hoping that, you know, everything's okay there. Um, the Bruins certainly, you know, the forward group has been playing really well. Frederick has continued to impress. You know, Craig Smith you know, is three or four goals. You know, he's not scoring a lot of goals, but he's shooting the puck a lot, and that's exactly why he's here. So he's had no problem fitting into this team, doing exactly what you expect him to do. Um, So one thing that I had tweeted, I think it was earlier in the week, um, was Anders Bjork, or something about him, that, you know, he's been playing the majority of the time on the third or fourth line, and, you know isn't really producing much offense. And, you know, I said this and I tweeted this exactly that, you know, maybe it's time that we start thinking about him differently in terms of the type of player that he is. That, you know, maybe we stop thinking about him as, you know, the kid that he was in college, guy who, you know, shoot the puck from everywhere, is a good goal scorer, could play on the top two lines. And, you know, that's how he first, you know, jumped into the NHL, playing on that top line with Bergeron and Marchand. But it seems fairly obvious, you know, in the last year plus that that just might not, that place just might not be where he's going to be the most successful. You know, I think that the attributes that, you know, you think about him as a good player, that He's a good, good, good speed guy, you know, really can get up and down the ice in a hurry, you know, uses the speed to his advantage, you know, especially in the forechecking game. And, you know, I think that we maybe need to start thinking about him as kind of a bottom six forward who plays with speed, is a really smart player, good forechecker, can kill penalties, you know, and maybe stop thinking about him as this you know, bona fide goal scorer that you thought he was going to be coming out of Notre Dame. Um, And, you know, someone that could play in the second line, maybe even the first line. But, you know, I think that maybe we need to start reevaluating him that like, okay, think about what he is in terms of, you know, what he actually does and not like what we think he could be, you know. So something like you think about him as a bottom six guy who plays with speed, is a really good forechecker, can kill penalties. You know, you, you think about him more in that light than the offensive guy who, you know, should be scoring goals, you know, a, at, at a good clip. 
Um, so I think, you know, that being said, I think it's going to be interesting to see if the Bruins do indeed, you know, move him, you know, or are they comfortable keeping him on this team and playing him, you know, the way that they're playing him right now and playing him as a bottom six forward, which is kind of what's happening, you know, or do they say, okay, you know, we've seen what you can do, you know, you're not really exactly what we envisioned, you know, it might be time to move on. So I think that's going to be very interesting. And I think especially when DeBrusque is healthy enough to play, you know, what is that, how does that affect him? You know, and when Kasha comes back, if that happens, you know, is he going to be pushed out of the lineup? And I think it honestly is trending that way based on the performance of Nick Ritchie and Trent Frederick. Both of those guys have been really, really solid. You know, Ritchie, I think, not as much five on five, but he's been awesome on the power play. He's a great net front guy, you know, kind of, you know, took DeBrusque's spot on that uh, net front. And he's been a lot better, you know, gets in front, is a really good, really good player in front of the net, you know, can tip plays in on, on shots from the point. He can also, you know, give you a good target to pass to, you know, uh, down low near the net and it's working out, you know, he's scoring goals. He's factoring into a lot of points and, you know, for parts of that first period, Krejci, Richie and Craig Smith, that second line was the best line on the ice. They were the best players on the ice in that first period. So, you know, it's good to see from Nick Ritchie. You know, I think that he just kind of needed some time to get acclimated and get the right, play with the right combination of players. And geez, it is working. You know, he's playing really, really well. So, you know, he and Trent Frederick haven't given you a reason to take them out of the lineup. Um, I'll just be honest. I didn't like that Carson Kuhlman came out of the lineup on uh, Wednesday, but, you know, whatever. It's going to be what it's going to be. You know, I think that it's important to get someone like Bleed to get a game under his under his belt, but I just thought that, you know, Kuhlman wasn't half bad in his um, couple games that he's played with um, the fourth line with Corrali and uh, Bjork. Maybe it was. Um, but, you know, you got to get certain guys in, I think, at a certain point, too. So there's something definitely to be said for that so again Bruins tonight in Philly and then we'll play the Rangers at home next Wednesday so um, obviously you'd have to be living under a rock in the NHL world to not uh, realize that uh, COVID is definitely wreaking havoc um, on the NHL right now and has caused the league to um, adopt some new um uh, prevention measures. So um, the league came up with this, I think maybe it was yesterday or two days ago. Um, let's see if I can find it um, about the changes that they're going to be putting in place um, to kind of try to um, stop the spread as much as they can. I think, you know, it's, it's, I think at a certain point it's going to be what it's going to be. And I know that I've said this on multiple occasions that I think, you know, as much as we all think, and I think we're all right in thinking that maybe this playing sports thing, this, you know, playing hockey in a pandemic is not really the best idea, you know, and I think that we all have the best intentions because I think we all want everyone in this league to be safe. You know, we don't want to be compromising 
anyone's health and safety. Um, so I think like it's it's just one of those things that it's it's challenging because I think we all know what the right thing is and maybe that right thing is not happening right now, but I think like we have to realize that, you know, I don't, I don't know. It's like one of those things where it's like the wheels are already in motion. And so it's hard to, you know, stop and be like, oh, you know, is this really the smart thing to do now? You know, I think that there are some teams that have had outbreaks and have been able to, you know, recover from it. Um, you know, it just, it's, it's, it's it's a it's a tough thing to kind of pinpoint um, because I think we all want everyone to be safe, but on the other hand, you know, you know, I I just I don't think that the league is going to pause, you know, unless there are a lot more teams that come out and have issues. Now, I don't know. Does it mean that the protocols aren't working? You know, are some teams not really adhering to the strict guidelines? I mean, it is interesting that there have been a couple teams that have had pretty serious outbreaks, but, you know, other teams have been fine. Other teams have not had positive tests. And so it's like, okay, well, you know, what's what's the reason for that? I don't think we know. Um, but I think, like, the NBA was running into the same issue a couple weeks ago when we were thinking, okay, maybe it makes sense to shut it down for two weeks and let everyone, you know, see see what happens. You know, and the NBA chose to push through and, you know, I think in the last week there weren't any new positives. So, you know, maybe there's something to be said about that. And I don't know if it's a sports thing. Is it because hockey, the players are in closer, you know, contact during the game? You know, I, I it's hard to pinpoint about, you know, what the, what the, what the issue is. So, you know, I think, I, I think as much as we all would like to see a pause to kind of keep things safe, I don't think the league's going to do it. You know, and I think that we all have the right intentions in our head, but I just think that, I don't know, it's kind of a moot point. I think that we all shouldn't be surprised that the league is pushing through, um, you know, because I think, you know, I don't know. It's like they're going to push through whether we like it or not. And I think, unfortunately, we're just going to have to be at peace with it. But, you know, it just it's it's a difficult thing. You know, it's a difficult thing because I think that it's we should consider ourselves lucky that we're even be even able to see this, you know, live sports. Um, but I think that yeah, it's just it's challenging. You know, it's it's really challenging because it's it's not it's not a perfect it's not a perfect answer. Um, so looking at the rest of the league. Um, like other than the Bruins, looking at the standings quickly, the Bruins um, tied with Philadelphia atop the uh, East Division, the Mass Mutual East, because each of the divisions has a sponsor for this season. Don't ask me why. Um, Washington has also been off to a good start. Uh, Bruins dealt them their first regulation loss, so they are just a point behind the Bruins and the Flyers uh, for first place in the East um, New Jersey has had a pretty good start to the season, although they um, will not be playing some games for the, in, in the near future um, as they, you know, had an outbreak. The Rangers are seemingly trying to pick themselves up out of, a, out of an early hole. They're now at 10 points. Uh, and the Islanders are in last place in the East. Uh, and they've struggled recently. They've really struggled on the road. In the North Division, you have Toronto with a one-point lead over Montreal. 
Uh, Winnipeg is with 15 points. Uh, they're two points out of first. They've had a pretty good start uh, to their season. Uh, Montreal has been just, as much as it pains me to say, as a Bruins fan, they have been awesome to watch. Uh, Toffoli's been amazing. Uh, you know, Shea Weber's been playing really well. If Carey Price, you know, playing at a pretty good level, I wouldn't say that he's playing, you know, unbelievable, but they're scoring a lot of goals. Josh Anderson has been playing well. Um, I think the Canadians, you know, definitely had the best offseason, and, you know, they're proving it right now with a really good start to the season. Um, and Toronto, you know, has been able to score a lot of goals, but, you know, the goal differential is not bad either, plus eight. So uh, Toronto in first in the, in the West. If Colorado and St. Louis atop the division with 15 points each, Minnesota with 12, uh, they are, I think, in a pause right now uh, due to COVID. Uh, Vegas with 11 points, Anaheim with 10. They've been playing, you know, not too bad to start the season. Uh, one point out of fourth place in the West. And then in the Central, uh, it's very close. You got Tampa Bay and Columbus, 13 points atop the division, and then Florida. Carolina and Chicago with 12 points, uh, Dallas with 11, Nashville with 10, Nashville in seventh place in the division, just three points out of first place. So uh, expect that central division to be wild this season. You know, already you've had some teams that are going to be making up a good amount of games, Tampa Bay, Florida, Carolina, and Dallas specifically. Um, But I think that division has such a, after Tampa Bay, you know, I think based on the move that Colum- based on the moves Columbus has made, you know, are they better? Are they worse? You know, it's hard to know, but it's like that is a division full of teams that could randomly get hot at any time. Any of those seven teams, Tampa Bay, Columbus, Florida, Carolina, Chicago, Dallas, Nashville, all seven of those teams are capable of just, you know, going off on a run. So um, I expect that division is going to be absolutely crazy that, you know, any of those teams could win the division feasibly. I think any of those teams feasibly could go to the playoffs. You know, I think Chicago, I don't take as much stock into that, but I think any other team um, from Tampa Bay to Nashville, any of those teams have a chance to go to the playoffs. So things could get very interesting um, in that division. So, you know, that's probably it for the NHL. Move on to the NBA. The Celtics... uh, I don't know. It's it's been it's been kind of a weird stretch for them. Um, obviously, the kind of confounding loss to the Spurs last week um, was uh, really frustrating. And then, you know, you lose the game to the Lakers on Saturday night that you should have won. You know, I think that again, um, I don't know. Brad Stevens goes with kind of a strange lineup combination early in the fourth quarter. Celtics have a 7 nothing lead, and, you know, that gets erased, you know, and I don't know. It just seemed like they totally should have won that game. You know, you think about Kemba getting that great look at the buzzer. He should have made that shot. And I know that, yeah, people are like, oh, you know, you could have called a timeout there, but I don't know. I'm not really going to put much stock into it because it's like you got a good look at the basket. You know, it's not like some it's, – it's not like – you know, Marcus Smart was not in the game at this point because he had hurt himself earlier in the game. But it's not like it was crazy helter-skelter. Marcus Smart throws up a a wildly contested three-pointer that is a horrible shot. You know, Kemba got a good look at the basket, just didn't make it. 
just wasn't his night, you know, which was frustrating. Um, and then, you know, they bounce back against the Warriors, have a nice, solid road win, and then, you know, lose a close game to the Kings the other night. And, you know, it wasn't a game that I felt they gave the game away. You know, I just thought that the Kings just beat you, you know, and the Celtics and the Kings, you know, believe it or not, have played some close games over the years. You know, there were two games last year that I think were like a point, you know, decided by a point. So, you know, it's always going to be close when you play those te- when you play that team. Um, and, you know, now the Celtics continue that West Coast road trip with a game against the Clippers tonight. So really don't know what to expect. You know, I thought that the game against the Lakers last weekend, I really didn't think they had a, a shot at winning. And, geez, they had a chance to win at the buzzer. So, you know. Same thing might happen against the Clippers tonight. Uh, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, I think look for them to be special. Look for one of them to be special tonight. Uh, Playing against a team like L.A. with Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, um, look for one of them to have a special game. Look for one of them to score 40 points tonight. Um, You know, is it a win? Is it a loss? You know, who who, who the hell knows uh, with this team recently that they've kind of won games that you expect them to lost games that you expected them to, but not in the way that you did, you know, it's, I don't know, it's just been kind of a weird stretch for them. And obviously losing smart uh, for a couple of weeks doesn't help. Um, I think it's, thank God that it's only a few weeks and it's not, you know, the rest of the season. Uh, some people thought it could have been an Achilles, you know, thank God it wasn't. Um, so the Celtics kind of dodged a bullet there. Uh, Peyton Pritchard, you know, still hurt. Possibility you see him tonight. Um, I think they could use someone like him back in the lineup uh, because Jeff Teague, I think, is playing uh, played too many minutes and he didn't respond to it. Um, you know, he's been kind of one of the biggest disappointments for them this season that uh, he's really not been the player that they expected. Um, averaged 11-5 and five last year for Atlanta and Minnesota. And, you know, I, I, I'm not sure what it is. I'm not sure why he's struggling. You know, it's like, the shots that he takes, you know, the runners, the weird scoop shots, they always go down. They always went down when he played the, against the Celtics. You know, he's one of those guys that for years seemingly was a Celtics killer, you know. And now, I guess in a, I guess in a weird messed up way, he still is a Celtics killer uh, because he can't make easy shots. He can't make shots two feet from the basket. So, um, and I have no idea what that's... Uh, what that's attributed to because, you know, he still has game. He can still play. He's only 32, you know, can still play at a good level. I mean, what's, this is crazy. I mean, he's shooting 40, 41% from three point range and is shooting like 32% from two or or it's four, it's 41% from three and then 32%, you know, from the field, which it's like, that doesn't make any sense. So maybe it's just some weird shooting slump that he's in that maybe once he gets out of it, he'll be fine. But I'll tell you, like, he's not playing with a lot of confidence and, you know, he's losing the ball like Avery Bradley used to lose the ball. So hoping that that can get fixed because if it doesn't, uh, it really could be a problem and the Celtics might be forced to, you know, get rid of him at some point. So hopefully that changes. Um, but obviously with Kemba Walker, you know, not really being available to play back-to-backs, you know, Teague is going to be a guy that's going to play 
a decent amount of minutes. So I think you hope that Pritchard gets back very soon. You hope that Smart gets back as soon as he can so that Jeff Teague's not having to start and play, you know, close to 30 minutes because I just, he's not responding to it very well. And it is interesting that, you know, I looked on Basketball Reference yesterday, you know, the minutes that he's playing are the fewest minutes that he's played in his whole career. He's not played uh, less than 20 minutes in a game. He's not averaged less than 20 minutes a game since his second year. You know, so I don't know. Maybe he's not responding well to the role that he's in. But given that he's 32 and he's been around the league for quite a while, you know, it shouldn't really be that difficult to accept a new role. And maybe it's just something as simple as his shots just aren't falling. Um, And maybe once they start to fall, maybe... He'll start to gain some more confidence and be a solid contributor contributor to this team. Um, so, yeah, just hopefully that that changes because I think the Celtics are kind of just in the middle of the pack here. So uh, hopefully they go on a little bit of a winning streak. Hopefully that starts tonight. You know, the West Coast road trip, you know, is, you know, this part of it is really challenging. You know, got to play the Clippers. You got to play Phoenix on Sunday. They ain't got to play Utah. Um, so, you know, I'm not sure what, what's next for this Celtics team, but, you know, hopefully Peyton Pritchard can come back. Maybe that adds a little bit of fire into you. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's going to be interesting to see. Um, another thought from that game um, against Sacramento, you know, is Harrison Barnes. And is that a target for the Celtics? Uh, to look at for that trade exception. So, you know, Danny Ainge made a comment on Toucher and Rich, uh, not this, I think it was yesterday morning, that the Celtics are interested in acquiring shooting with size, you know, and what that means, I think, is someone that can shoot, someone that, you know, has good size, that can guard multiple positions. And uh, Harrison Barnes, I mean, Danny Ainge couldn't, couldn't come out and say Harrison Barnes. You know, it's like it was he was describing Harrison Barnes to a T without having to say his name. So uh, that could be someone the Celtics look into. You know, not to say that, oh, that's going to be the guy, but it very well could be. Um, that he's a guy who can guard multiple positions, is a good shooter, good three-point shooter, um, and really, I think, is comfortable playing in any role. And I think could fit in really well with this Celtics team. So uh, keep your eye on him. Keep your eye on the Orlando Magic. Because I think that's a team that could be selling off a couple of major pieces, whether it's Vucevic, uh, Yvonne Fournier, uh, Terrence Ross, Aaron Gordon. You know, that's a team that absolutely the Celtics could be um, interested in for using, you know, some of that trade exception too. Um, So the Celtics, you know, have that 28, 29 million, whatever it is, doesn't have to be on one player. You know, could use it on two players or three players perhaps. Um, I think I think there's something weird though that they can't bring in someone that's making over 20 million. So it's like they can split it up, but it can't be someone like making 20 million and someone making eight million. So it would have to be, you know, something something less than that. Um, just some other quick thoughts before I look at the standings. The NBA and the Players Association is finalizing a deal to play an All Star game um, on March 7th. I think I think it's March 7th. So. Um, obviously, that's been met with uh, some ire from a few players. Uh, I think De'Aaron Fox said something that, uh, like, it's stupid that they're playing this. And LeBron James, you know, made some comments. And I got to say, I agree with them. You know, I think that 
the idea of playing an all-star game, you know, it, I don't know. It just, it seems, it seems dumb to me where it's like, I think already you are asking teams to come back and play basketball. You know, some teams, you know, two months after they won a championship, you know, and players need that rest. They do. And I know that the majority of the players don't go to the all-star game, but you know, the best players go to the all-star game. And like, you would think that that would be a time to give guys a breather and some time off. Like, I think it's five days and it's just like adding an all-star game in a pandemic just seems really silly to me. I like, I get under, I get selecting the team, selecting the players. Cause it is a huge honor. And I'm all for selecting a roster of guys to a, to an, uh, selecting guys to an all-star team. I just don't think playing a game really makes that much sense. And mind you, it's not even a competitive game. You know, I know that, yes, they've tried to make the game competitive in the fourth quarter, but it's just like, who cares? Like, it's an all-star game. Like, I understand a lot of people watch it, but at the end of the day, it's a glorified pickup game. You know, do you like do you, do you really want to see uh, Joel Embiid jacking up eight threes? In, a, in an all-star game, you really want to see Giannis, you know, and pulling up from 40 feet and shooting threes. Like, do you really want to see that? You know, I don't know. It's just, and to add on top of that, they're even trying to do the skills competition. And it's like, why? Like, I don't know. It just seems completely unnecessary to me. And mind you, it's probably not even that safe. You know, yes, they're talking about doing it in Atlanta, but it's like Atlanta doesn't have, you know, super strict restrictions. And it's like, God forbid someone tests positive while they're there. You know, it's like it it could be a whole disaster. And I just think it's strange that you've had some players, you know, outright come and tell you that this is stupid. And yet the Players Association, you know, has agreed to do this. So it's like, I think there might be some miscommunication there between some players and the Players Association. And yes, the Players Association is made up of players, but it's like, yikes, how does that look for the rest of your league when there's some guys who have come out publicly and said that this is not a good idea. Someone like LeBron comes out and publicly says that it's like, okay, you know, you kind of need to figure this out. So I don't know, you know, we'll see what ends up happening, but I just think it's a kind of a stupid idea. Um, So as we look around the rest of the NBA, uh, look at the standings, you know, the, the Sixers, you know, continue to have a good start 16 and seven, um, atop the Eastern Conference, atop the NBA, I think. Um, actually, no, it's the Utah Jazz that have the best record, best winning percentage. Um, but Philly's number one in the East. Uh, Milwaukee and the Nets two games back. Celtics are in fourth place um, at the moment. Indiana fifth. Charlotte, Cleveland, and Atlanta six, seven, and eight. So um, some interesting changes there. You know, the Heat continue to you know, struggle, but a lot of it to me, I think has to do with the fact that they played a number of games with like eight or nine or 10 guys. And, you know, someone mentioned this, I think it was one of the ESPN announcers on the Celtics game um, on Saturday that it kind of bordered into unfair that the Heat had to play with eight, nine guys and lost a lot of games because, they're having to throw guys out there that aren't super experienced. You know, they've had to throw out lineups that, you know, or rosters that, you know, they don't have enough players. So it just seems kind of unfortunate that they've kind of 
had the raw end of that deal because they're seven and fourteen right now. You know, two and a half out of the eighth spot, but it's like they've lost and they've lost a lot of games already. So, you know, that's kind of interesting to me. The Raptors have um, improved a little bit. They're only a half game out of the playoffs. Um, so definitely keep your eyes on that. But it is interesting that you got a team like Charlotte that, yeah, they're not a great defensive team, but, you know, they're only 10 and 12. They're in the playoffs right now. So um, things might get interesting in the Eastern Conference. Um, in the West, you have the Jazz that are playing incredibly well, you know, two straight wins. They had won 10 straight at one point. But 17-5, and five, best mark in the NBA. Celtics have to play them next Tuesday, so that's going to be fun. Um, but the Clippers and the Lakers, you know, still playing really well. And then, you know, it's really just a crapshoot in the West in the rest of the Western Conference with uh, Denver and Portland at 12 and 9, Phoenix at 11 and 9, um, Golden State and San Antonio at 12 and 10, all those teams um, in the playoffs. So, you know, Dallas has been a team that's really been disappointing. They're not playing. Uh, great defense, only three wins in their last 10. Uh, they're three and a half games out of the playoffs, nine and 14. Uh, so they've had some trouble. Pelicans have had some trouble too on the defensive end. So I think, you know, you'll probably see the majority of the teams make the playoffs that made it last year. You know, you might see some changes in the East, I think, um, just based on maybe COVID or just, you know, teams that are actually you know, scrapping together and playing good basketball. You know, teams like Charlotte and the Hawks and even the Knicks, you know, that are on the outside looking into the playoffs right now. But, you know, you have teams that are are young and, you know, hungry and teams that are competing every night, you know. And I, I think I said this when the Celtics played the Knicks, you know, got blown out, you know, played a team like Cleveland, blew them out. But, you know, the Celtics have to be very careful with, teams that maybe come in and play them that you think that you're going to win pretty easily, but, you know, you underestimate them. You know, it's not going to happen tonight. Celtics are playing the Clippers, but, you know, with a season like this, the Celtics can't afford to, you know, get on a losing streak um, because they're really, you know, 11 and 9. It is interesting, though, that the Eastern Conference, you know, teams don't really have great records. You know, Philadelphia is 16 and 7. And that's the best record. You know, I think that Brooklyn is the next best record and they're like 13 and nine. So it's like, I wonder what's going on. Why so many teams in the East are, you know, losing as many games as they are. So um, that's probably it for NBA. I'll get to Major League Baseball just quickly. Um, You know, nothing, nothing new for the Red Sox. You know, we talked to Eric Bellier last week um, about the small signings that they've made. And I like them. You know, I think that, there's a possibility that some of these signings, you know, do work out. You know, they're kind of low risk, kind of don't expect much from these contracts. And um, honestly, there are very, there are some similarities. Excuse me. Um, There are some similarities between this offseason and 2013. Now, I don't want people to freak out and be like, oh my God, like, does he, does he mean, like, they're going to win a World Series? You know, no, I, I don't mean that exactly, but there are some parallels between, like, the players that they signed in 2013 to the players now. You know, guys that have kind of been forgotten about, whether it's through injuries or, I don't want to say old age, because, 
you know, that was kind of what they did with Victorino, Mike Napoli, and guys like that. But, you know, they brought in some solid contributors, like Ottavino, Kike Hernandez. Um, you know, Garrett Richards, even. Someone that has had some injuries, injury you know issues in the past, but the Red Sox believe that maybe he could get back to that. You know, form form that he was before he was hurt. Um, so it's gonna be very interesting to see what else they do. I mean, I don't think they're done. I think they very well could add another bat for you know that first base area, whether it's Mitch Moreland or someone like Marwin Gonzalez. That they've been linked to both of those guys. You know, someone like Marcelo Zuna hasn't even been signed yet. So I don't know. The Red Sox take a look at him. So. Definitely, there are some. There's some room that, you know, the Red Sox could could not be done. They could be making a couple more moves, but you know, I think that they honestly will have a decently competitive team. You know, and as I said, maybe it was last week during the interview or the week before. Like, you know, this there's no reason to believe this team couldn't win like 86 games, you know, and be right there in the playoff chase. You know, I think it's all about building a team that's going to be in contention every single year and not trying to just go all in to be good for two or three years, you know? And I think that under the old, like, I'll say under the old guard, but like under the old maybe GM regimes in the past, you know, specifically with Dombrowski, it's like you go all in to compete for two or three years and then you're, you know, left with nothing, you know? And I think that they want to try to compete for, a long period of time and isn't that what everyone wants like isn't that what everyone wants you know i don't know i just think that some of the rhetoric is strange about like oh like i don't want the red Sox turning into the tampa bay rays well you know tampa bay's been decently competitive for a decent for a decent amount of time and it's like don't you want to be as competitive as you possibly can for the longest period you can you know does it really matter what the team looks like I don't know, just uh, that that idea is kind of strange to me. Um, you know, Trevor Bauer, I think, is still the big free agent that has not been signed yet. You know, you heard um, Eric talk last week about, you know, the Mets probably being the team that he expects him to sign with. Um, but honestly, I could see him going anywhere. Um, I could see him really signing anywhere, and that includes the Red Sox. Um, I mean... I don't think it's very likely, but I guess it's possible, you know, just the way that Eric was talking. And I know that Eric is, you know, biased as a Mets fan and, you know, that that's fair. But at the same time, you know, it's like he made it sound like, okay, maybe it's, you know, fairly obvious. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what ends up happening, you know, with our luck on this podcast, he'll sign tomorrow, you know, with the Mets or someone and we'll, we'll miss it by a day. So uh, you know, that's always how it goes. It's how it went with the Stafford Goff trade last week. So, uh, yeah, we'll we'll see what goes on with that. But I will continue to keep you updated with uh, baseball and free agency um, and the Red Sox, you know. And as, as Eric said last week, you know, spring training is right around the corner, just a, just a few weeks away. You know, at this point, it might be like two weeks away. So, uh, yeah, keep your keep your eyes, you know, peeled. I think the Red Sox truck you know, might be like leaving today or tomorrow for uh, bringing the equipment down to Fort Myers. So you'll continue to hear more baseball stuff as we get uh, closer to the start of the season. I'm sure that 
as we get closer to the start of the season, we'll have Eric on again to do kind of a, a season preview. Um, so lastly, before we go, just two quick things. Um, really sad to report that the NWHL bubble um, has been suspended based on um, positive COVID tests for a number of different teams. Uh, we had heard that Met- Metropolitan had opted out uh, last week, you know, and then he had Connecticut and, um, oh, geez, that's really bad. I think Connecticut had some issues as well. Um, and then they just had decided to call it off, which, you know, just, just sucks, you know, and it's, it's understandable why they did it. I mean, I think no one's upset at that. You know, I think it just, at the end of the day, it just wasn't safe enough. And, you know, I think that everyone just, everyone's just, just pissed because the players and everyone in that league, you know, put so much together to try to make this as successful as it possibly could have. And, you know, I just, it sucks because it's like it got called, you know, days before the semifinals and finals were supposed to happen. You know, the final was, was scheduled to be tonight. So um, it just, it just sucks, you know, and I just, I feel, I feel so, I feel terrible for the players that, you know, felt like they were going to get an opportunity to play, you know, in this bubble and play in front of an audience, um, on NBCSN and just, it just is unfortunate. So, um, we'll see, we'll see what's next for the league. You know, I think that there are a lot of questions that still have to be answered and, you know, we'll, we'll see what, what happens next, um, you know, with, with the league, but it just, it's just unfortunate. And I think, you know, for those of us that were watching it for the first time, really enjoyed it. You know, as I said last week, you know, I'd never used Twitch before. And I've just used it to watch the games, and they've been a lot of fun. You know, the announcing crews have been great. The action has been great. You've seen some really exciting games. Um, seen some players that, you know, uh, coming into this, you know, I didn't know many players. You know, I only knew some players from Boston Pride, you know, based on reading articles and watching clips. But, you know, getting to know some of the other stars in the league, you know, getting to see an expansion team like Toronto play at such a high level that they did, you know, under the leadership of, of Digit Murphy, you know, she was one of, one of the, the, the stars of, you know, the bubble, you know, as the head coach and Toronto was a fun team to watch. And, you know, it was fun getting to watch some of the players. Uh, Michaela Grant Mentis for Toronto was outstanding um, in some games. You know, I mentioned um, Amanda Levier for Minnesota. She was, outstanding especially in that first game against the pride um you know and then the pride you know were able to open the floodgates in those uh last two round robin games against buffalo they scored six and seven goals you know and it really seemed like they had caught their they had kind of caught their second win so it just it's just unfortunate but i think like it's important to take away the positives you know that we're able to see some some women's hockey and you know, that it gains some some exposure, hopefully. You know, they signed a couple of sponsorship deals, which is awesome. So um, just, just I just feel terrible for all the players. But I think that I do feel happy that I was able to enjoy it, that most of these players, you know, were able to, to play and get a chance to play. You know, so I think that, you know, we'll 
be it'll be interesting to see what happens next. Definitely pay attention. But um, I just want to say it was really fun being able to watch the the games that I watched. So one last quick thing before we go, we'll give you guys an update on uh, college basketball. Uh, Gonzaga and Baylor still the top two teams in the top twenty-five. Uh, for men's basketball, you got Villanova and Michigan, um, Houston, Texas, Ohio State, Iowa. You have a team like Alabama who has shot up through the rankings um, in recent weeks. So, you know, you've had games that have been, you know, postponed. Teams have taken pauses and things like that. So um, it'll be interesting to see what happens, you know, as we get closer to tournament time in March. And, you know, hopefully that is still able to go on. Um but, you know, obviously things can change. Um, so I think that be interesting to see what happens in the next month or so as we get closer to March Madness and conference tournaments. You know, if they're even going to do conference tournaments, I think that's kind of worth uh, watching too. Um, just hoping that they, the NCAA, you know, does everything they can to keep the players as safe as they can. Um, so, you know, it's... It's going to be what it's going to be with college basketball. You know, I think that I'm hoping that they can get a tournament in, but kind of skeptical, you know, based on where things are, where things are at, you know, in the country right now with the virus. So um, keep your eyes on that. You know, we'll keep you updated with uh, the rankings, you know, maybe more of in-depth previews as we get closer to March. Um, so I think that that does it for, for our, um, episode this week 74 uh we'll be back with you guys next week probably a super bowl recap more sports news um so as always you can follow us on twitter at not boston you can also follow the facebook page and you can listen to us on uh, spotify and hopefully itunes um in the next few days so we'll keep you updated on that everyone have a good weekend enjoy the game and uh just you know Eat, your, eat, eat a lot of food. Don't eat yourself sick. Um, but, uh, yeah, everyone have a great Super Bowl weekend. Talk to you next week.